0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God. Pastor Larry Sterling, we invite you to join us in a service soon. We're located at 379 Avenue A, East Point, Florida. Our service times are 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays and 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. We pray that this week's message inspires you to shine the light of Christ to those around you. I started out with the task of helping you to see submission to God allows the blessings of God to flow in your life. Without submitting yourself to the Lord, it is impossible for you to please God. That submission is an attitude of faith. And so by submitting yourself to the Lord, then Satan will flee from you, and then God's presence is able to flow through you. Last week we spoke about wisdom being interwoven in the fabric of this world, that God is the creator, and if there's a designer, there's a design. And so he has designed this world to function in a wise way. And if you understand wisdom and understand how this world is made, then you will follow, follow by following the law of wisdom, it gives you the best chance of success for this life. There's a lot of, let me, let me explain to you the difference here. There, you can't deny it, it's there. You, you can't be, you can't say that it doesn't exist. Go out there and spend more money than you have. See what happens. doesn't end well. You know what I mean? No, everybody's like, Pastor, please, preach on something else. But it's the truth. If we spend beyond our means, it may not, in fact, encounter us today, but one day it will touch us. And so, so understanding, understanding it's a law. It's out there. You can't get around it. That's what, that's what the American people are trying to explain to their elected officials. When you spend more money than we bring in, it's bad. <laughs> when you live a life foolishly and you take no understanding of tomorrow, then it's bad. But I want to I show you a different perspective today about Ecclesiastes. Now the first thing before we get very far into this book, because some people, uh, many people don't understand the, 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 the tone of this book. This book is, is wisdom literature, so it needs to be read differently. If I gave you a math textbook and you would sit down and open up the math part of it, you would understand how to read that. You would see that, oh, this is a math textbook, so it's, it's going to give me facts and figures, and I get that. If you open up a book, and a literature book, and it says nonfiction over there, then you make an assumption that everything that is written with inside of the pages or paragraphs or words is, in fact, true. Or to the person's perspective, it is the truth according to how they see it. That's basically every news source out there. So we have we have nonfiction material, and then we have what's called fiction material. And under fiction material, we have many different genres of that particular perspective. You've got you know, whatever your favorite thing it is to read, or what, if you like murder mysteries, if you like fantasy, if you like science fiction, if you, whatever, there are different genres under fiction. And so depending upon the, the, the genre of the text will depend on what you're expecting to see in the book. So if I started out a story and I said once upon a time, you kind of figure out where I'm going with that. That's a fantasy story. If I didn't give you two plus two is four, you're going to be, well, that's not what's supposed to come next. So understanding wisdom literature is, it, what you find in the wisdom literature is a lot of poems, a lot of mental stuff. Many of us, like me, I didn't like literature class. It wasn't my favorite. I had to, it, it just meant what it said right there. I didn't, I'm not getting beyond that. But, there's a literature's perspective to look at this. And so to understand this, you've got to recognize that there are certain principles within this text that you've got to grasp in order to glean the, the enormity of what the Bible is trying to tell you here. The first and most powerful thing you need to know is there are two people talking in this book. There is the author, and then there is this guy called Preacher. The author... Is In verse 1, he's anonymous. We don't know who he is. He's the guy that introduces the book. Again, Ecclesiastes 1.1 tells us the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So he is saying, these are the words of this preacher, this this person, that, that the idea of preacher or teacher is somebody that brings together a crowd and teaches them something or gives them information. So the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then the very next thing, if you have a more modern translation of scripture, you'll see it in quotes, vanity of vanities. That's the words of this preacher. So the first voice is the voice of the author. And the and the next voice that's going to be spoken about, it tells you this is the words of the preacher. Now skip all the way down to the end of the book, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And I'm going to go over this more on Wednesday night. But Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I want to show you where it, it that the vision breaks off. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says starting at very verse 9 is the beginning of the Of the words of the author. So between Ecclesiastes 1, 2 and Ecclesiastes 12, 8 is the preacher talking. And then you've got to come back and realize the author. And we'll get to this verse in just a few minutes. But Ecclesiastes 12, 9, it tells us, and moreover, because the preacher was wise. So notice he's talking about what has previously been said or spoken of. So what what did this preacher talk about? What is he referring to? This is the point of this this book today. There are times when life does not make sense. That's what he's talking about. Is that if you want to live wise and you want to follow God and you can do the work of God and live for God, then all of a sudden, whammo, you get hit with something in your life and you're saying, how? Did this happen? Why is this happening to me? God, where are you when things aren't making sense in my life? And so what this critic, this preacher, this this. This teacher that's coming out, he to speak to us. We've just come through Proverbs and we've just hit the highs of knowing what it is to to love the Lord and to fear God and to listen to his voice. And then you've got this guy coming up in verse chapter one, verse two, and he says, Vanity of vanity, everything is vanity. If you've got an NIV version, it's even worse. It says meaningless, or I think that's what it says. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Well, that's depressing. But what this is referring to is this. There's a Hebrew word here called hevel. And what it means is vapor or breath. And so what he's saying, see, our minds, we can't, Con, con, uh, put this together in our mind with the Hebrew understanding of what is saying here. He's not saying my life has no meaning. He's not saying that life is vain. He's saying that life is but a breath. And when you try to grab a hold of this life, it slips right through. You cannot, everything is heaven. You try to hold on to something. It's heaven. My son lost a tooth last night. I want him to go back being that little guy. But I can't. And if I try to do, what does the Bible tell me? It's vanity. Heaven. I can't. I cannot Go on in this world and continue. You see, what happens is when we are selfish, and I'm selfish about my kids, and most of you are too, you want to go back. There are times I was like, Lord, it would just be nice to go back in time. I don't have to do anything. Just watch my kids play we could go back into time and think about and, and view the things I, I think that's a lot about what the Chris the Christmas story the, that Charles Dickens wrote was about where he, Ebenezer Scrooge is able to see Christmas past he's able to see but it's vanity he could not hold on the decisions that he made in that moment put him on the path that he was on in the present and if he had not made a change he was his future was going to be a, a certain perspective the reality is is that vanity of vanities everything is but a breath in this world. When you try to hold on to things that you don't have power over it is nothing but vanity. I'm going to try to encourage you later. But what Ecclesiastes tells us and What the, this guy is trying to speak to us is, is that there are people out there and they will work their fingers to the bone and they will live their life in such a way that they will get to the end of their life and they'll turn around and yes, they may have wealth or yes, they may have this to show for it, but they, don't, they can't hold on to it. It won't stay there. It's going to either. It will be there as long as you're around, but the moment that anything else, the moment that you pass, your children, your heirs, your your people may not hold on to it like you would want to hold on to it. Vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. So there are times that when, when life doesn't make sense, what we are trying to do is we are trying to hold on to a part of life that God has not allowed us to do so. Oh man, that's important. When you're try, when you say, "Well, God, I don't know why this happened," I, there are, like I said, there are people that have that in this last year. I know three Church of God pastors that have passed away unexpectedly. Two in the last month. Of one man, as I told you earlier, his, he was just getting ready for Christmas for his family, he was T-boned by a drunk driver and died. Crazy. Young man last week was in his church, pastor or staff member. I'm not certain of his credentials, but but he was a clergy and, and he just dropped over at church. They rushed him to the hospital, found they had an aggressive form of leukemia and was dead by Tuesday. We don't know about tomorrow. And when you're trying to grab a hold of tomorrow without taking care of your today, it's vanity. It's vanity. You can't. It's breath. It's just like breath. Try to grab your breath. Try to grab the vapor. Try to grab the cloud. Try to grab the things that are out there. It's impossible. I, I mean, I love with my kids looking up at the sky and on the way to school some mornings, we we try to find figures and pictures in the clouds. And my, my little girl has the best imagination sometimes on this, and she'll be pointing out what different things look like. And listen, it will look like that then, but go 20 minutes from now, and it's not going to look like that because why? It's nothing but vapor. It's nothing but vapor, and when you try to grab that, you don't do it. So here's what we do. We try to take a picture of that moment in time so that we would remember that moment in time, so that we would have something to hold to in that moment in time and and, and have a good feeling about that moment in time, but it's nothing but a picture. I can't get back to that moment in time. The problem is, is where we know that when you're not healthy in your mind, And we go in through depression is when we try to hold on to something in our past or something in our past is holding on to us. Y'all with me? When something, either we are wishing a certain way and wanting a certain thing, and that's not the way God has it. Or something happened to us in our past, abuse or neglect or trials, struggle, and it's holding on to us in our present, and it's causing us pain in that. And listen, it can't hurt you today if you give it to the Lord. It's nothing but vapor, any hurt, any pain, any sorrow, anything that hit you in your past. Let me tell you, it has no power over you. If you give it to the Lord Jesus Christ, He can heal you, He can set you free, because it's not there, it's gone, and it can't ever come back. And those that try to bring it back, vanity. So the Bible warns us in this this book, in this book, wonderful, beautiful book is to give us this, this, this preacher, this teacher, his main theme of how are we to live is this. This is the most important thing of this book. Treat every day as a gift from God. That's the meaning of the book. You are given today. Today. Is the day of salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. The meaning of the book of Ecclesiastes in the, the thrust of the book of Ecclesiastes. Is not that we are to live some kind of hedonistic way and only think about the moment, the present second that you're in and and try to process life through through that lens. No, that's the distortion of the world's perspective. But what the book of Ecclesiastes is trying to tell you is that you're not promised tomorrow and you're not guaranteed next week. And it would be unwise for you to live as if there is no next week. But you live today. You hug your wife today. You kiss your children today. You you embrace what God has given to you today. Because today you can hold. Today you can hold your child today you can hold the situation today you can live let me give you a bible verses for this the bible tells you in ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses verse 9 to 13 what profit has the worker from that which is he labours i have seen the god given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied he has made everything beautiful in its time and he has put eternity in their hearts except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to end i know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor it is the gift of god what is he saying he says we've put god has put eternity in your heart and you know that your life is more than this this day but you have sit you sit in this day and you embrace what god has given to you this day and you say lord thank you for the gift of this day I don't have tomorrow to give somebody. I schedule things in my tomorrow. I I have things scheduled a lot of my tomorrows. But I'm not guaranteed that day. I'm not guaranteed four or five weeks from now, a year from now. But what I have been given is the Lord woke me up this morning. The sun came out and the sky was blue. And God gave me today. And so this is the day that the Lord has made. And I'm going to rejoice and be glad in the gift of this day. I'm not going to live as if tomorrow will never come because that is foolish. And only fools would live that way. That is what the world tries to convince you of. But what you need to do is you need to put worry out of your spirit and worry out of your soul and stress. And those things, Jesus said it like this, there is sufficient evil for, for this day. You don't need to worry about tomorrow's evil and you don't need to worry about next week's evil. Take care of today. God brought you into this moment. God brought you to this place. God brought you to this hour. God helped you. God encouraged you. God brought you all the way this far. And He's not going to leave you alone in this world. But today is your gift problem is is that so many times in our life we run to our careers. We run to pleasure. We run to things of this world and like the the prodigal son it is nothing but fleetingness. You will find yourself in a pig pen somewhere, feeding corn cobs to pigs. If you want to live a life of so foolishness of no care about tomorrow, and not caring about what you're doing, but hear me today. If you you've been given this day, so how can we give this day to God? How can God be manifested and blessed in this day through us? How can God be glorified in your life this day? And, and tell me, there are there are there are many different ways you can do that. Number one, you can worship the Lord and give Him praise and give Him glory for giving you this thing today. Number two, your, your horizontal relationships, you can embrace the people that God has brought into your life today. You can love them and care for them. You can wrap your arms around them. Jesus says, don't hold on against your brother. It's not going to help you in this world. It's not going to help you in this life. Love your people. Love your enemies. Do good. Who wants to harm you? Because really, I've only given you this day. Y'all with me? And so we 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 try to say, Well, I gotta hold on to this anger, I gotta hold on to this. No, it's vanity. Hold on to anger. It's vanity to hold on to the, the, the despair. It's, ang- it's vanity because it's not going to bless your day today, and it's certainly not going to help your tomorrow. So vanity, give it all to the Lord. Give it up. Give everything over to God. Say, let's say Lord, you have blessed me with this day. You have given me grace for this day. You have given me hope for this day. You have given me joy for this day. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes again, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 19, very much echoing what 3 through 13 was talking about, but Ecclesiastes 5:19 says this, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. If you go out there on that bay and you and you pull out I don't know Let's just be glorious. A hundred sacks of oysters. Enjoy what God has given to you. And don't worry about it. Because God gave it to you. Don't let people say, well, I don't know why you have so much. Well, God gave it to me. This is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to give the portion back to Him. Because He's blessed me with it. And so I'm going to say, Lord, thank you for giving me this day. And if somebody wants to talk bad about your 100 bags of oysters, you say, well, that's okay. If you want one, you can have one. I'll get more tomorrow. The Lord gives that the Lord takes away. That's next week's sermon. But blessed be the name of the Lord. You're all like, man, I don't know if I'm coming back. That's Job. And then we'll be done with this. But when you when you listen to, when you listen to what the Bible's telling you, you worked hard. You spent your time in your office. You spent your time on patrol. You spent your time out with the sweat of your brow. God does not want you to be so wrapped up in the things of this world that you don't enjoy what He has given to you this day. And so this is why we must be careful that we are not putting into, that we don't put our tomorrow in, in some kind of bondage because we, we want to enjoy this day. And so when you listen to the voice of God and you hear the voice of the Lord, we, we are doing what God has called us to do when we are enjoying the fruit of our labor. nine nine says this, Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, (laughs) which He has given you under the sun all your days of vanity. For that is your portion in life and in labor which you perform under the sun. and Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Like, man, you're in a bad mood, aren't you? This preacher's really preaching, isn't he, up here? But he's telling you the good news and the bad news in the same sentence. He's telling you, enjoy your marriage, enjoy your children, enjoy these things. And when you do something, don't be lazy, do it with all your might that God has given to you. When you do something, don't do it halfway. When you walk in this world, don't do it halfway. Why? Because this day was a gift from God. And when you put your head on the pillow at night, you can say with a clear conscience to the Lord, I gave you my all today, God. If your job is a waitress, don't be walking through this world wishing you had another job. Say, thank you, Lord, for the job you've given me. And I'm going to do this the best I can. And God, if you want me to have another job, it will come my way. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of the Lord. And I'm going to give all to my. Do it with all your might. Do it with everything within your spirit. Do it within your soul. Don't, don't allow the world to rob your tomorrow. Don't allow depression to come into your, to your soul and say, well, what about the, the finality of life and the vanity? Hear me. We all understand that. Everybody in here has an appointed day that we're going to meet our maker face to face. And we we and we need not to think that it's never going to happen. But when you look at the fact that that matter, and that is that God has said, I've given you hope. Let me blend this here with the, the conclusion of the matter, Ecclesiastes 12:9. The Bible says, and moreover, because the preacher was wise. remember this is a different voice, this is the author. Because the preacher was wise, He still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words and what was written was upright words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. You know what a goad is? It's a pointy end at the end of the shepherd's staff to drive you into the direction that you need to go. It's a goad. He said the, the words... The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And Further, my son, be admonished by these things of making many books. There is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. All the students are like, amen. What he's meaning here, though, is that don't try to figure this thing out existentially. It's just going to wear you out. He's not telling you study isn't important. (laughs) And what he's saying, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Why? For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So here's the conclusion of the matter. The conclusion of the matter is this. The entire book tells you the number one thing you need to do is live in fear and reverence of the Lord because you can't control your tomorrow. And if you keep trying to control your tomorrow, you're going to run smack dab into your maker, not ready. Because your maker is going to put together everything you did in secret and in public and he's going to show the good and the bad. He's going to put it all and lay it all out there. So you need to realize that living in fear of the Lord is the most important thing you can do in your life. You are not to live a life of, of hedonism. You're not to live a life of pleasure. You're not to live a life that, 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 that goes beyond what God has given to you that you're just out there seeking the next best thing, the next pleasure. All it's going to do is, is try to fill an empty void that God is longing to fill in your life. It will never fill what God wants to do for you. The second thing is there's there if you go out there and labor and labor and labor in this world and thinking it's going to fill you up. No! It can't fill you up either because Only God can fill you up and you can fill yourself up with all these things. And he says, No, none of these things are worth anything. They're but breath, they're but vanity, they're but vapor, they're they're not going to help you. But if you fear the Lord and you keep his commandments and you'll walk therein, Jesus said it a little bit different in the New Testament. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so here's what we need to know, and I want to conclude the whole matter again with Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and I want to say this, sister, I didn't give you this whole entire part, but the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 something very powerful about the situation. The Bible tells us, Romans eight twenty eight something very important. And we know that all things work together for good who to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew He pre, also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He, are, he also called, and whom He called, these are also justified, and whom He justified, these He also glorified. Now here's the, the, the conclusion of the matter from my perspective as a pastor in the 21st century for you in the Christian church. Here's what you need to grasp about this Ecclesiastes and living tomorrow. You've got to fear the Lord. You've got to love Jesus, keep his commandments, do what he said to do, live the way he said to live in the red letters written in the Gospels. But here's what you need to have that's going to put your worry and your fear about tomorrow to rest. He has a bride. And the Bible tells us in verses 28 through 30 here in Romans 8:28 that he has predestined this, this body, this bride, for glory. This isn't an individual predestination. This is a corporate predestination. They put it like this. God has a family, and God's family is going home to be with their father. God's family is going to be with their father. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, that, that you are adopted into this body. You are. You can cry out to him, Abba, Father. You can cry out to him and tell him how how glorious this of a father he is. And then if you have any trouble, he decides, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And when you don't know what to pray, I'm going to pray through you with groanings and utterings. And I'm going to speak through you and help you. You know why? Because you're part of my family. You're part of my family and, and I've adopted you and you're part of the kingdom of God and you brought yourself into the kingdom of God by, by listening to my voice and by accepting my son and repenting of your sins and, and allowing my son to wash you and cleanse you and make you whole. And so he said, so I've got a bride and the devil can't steal her and the world can't do anything for her because I've guarded her, I've surrounded her with my love, I've surrounded her with my spirit and And I predestined her. I don't care what the enemy says about her. I don't care what the enemy says about my family, God says. I don't care what the enemy says about my household. I'm bringing my children home and there's nothing he can do about it. All of them are coming back to my house. Because in my house are many mansions. In my house are many places. And the devil can't stop that. So, you can't control tomorrow, but you can trust the one that's in control of tomorrow. And that's the purpose of this point. You can't control tomorrow but you can trust the one that is in control of tomorrow who's already been in tomorrow and has told the world if you will trust me, if you will hold me, if you will keep my commandments, if you will follow after me, if you will listen to my voice, I will cover your tomorrow and your next day and your next day and your next day after that because if you're part of my body, you're predestined to go on the glory. I don't care what the world told you and I don't care what anybody else has said to you. If you are a blood-bought, born-again child of God, your destiny is heaven, you're on your way, you're going to glory, and nothing the world can do to stop that. You want to get out of his family? That's your business, and I don't recommend it because he's the only one that has tomorrow in his hand. You want to backslide and leave his family? You want to divorce yourself from the kingdom of God? Go ahead. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to let God care for my house. The Bible tells us in Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us. Who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him to us all. How can he deliver for us all? How shall we not with him also freely give us all things? For what whose charge shall bring a charge against God's life? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and further, furthermore is risen, is even at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. There's somebody praying for you right now. You you don't know about your pain that's coming tomorrow but the master does and he's already interceding to make certain that the spirit of God is all over your tomorrow before you ever get there because you can't hold on to it and when you wake up in the morning you can look up into the sky and you can say today is the day the Lord has made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. He already blessed it through the enemy's snare. He's already taken care of my trial. He's already taking care of my problem. He's already taking care of what I need and I trust the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. I don't know what it may be. Pain may come. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but we trust Him and we say, Blessed be the name of the Lord Most High who shall separate us from the love of Christ. You, woke, you wake up today got tribulation. Does that mean He doesn't love you? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword? Does that mean He doesn't love you? The Bible says as it is written, for your sake we are killed all that day long, counted as sheep for the slaughter. God, we There are days it doesn't end well. It seems as if, Lord. Paul says, yet in all these things, we are more more than conquerors. Through him, he loved us. I can't hold on to my tomorrow, but I know he loves me. is a moment of love that I'm going to face tomorrow I can't hold on to it Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God and Pastor Larry Sterling. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.